0: You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Hey, if it's your first time with us, uh, good to see you. Happy New Year. My name is Jeff, one of the pastors here. If it is your very first time with us, love to give you a gift this morning, a tumbler or a sippy cup or a water bottle, and that's our gift to you. If it's your first time with us today, Uh, If you'd like more information about our church or there's something we can be praying about for you, there should be a slip in the seat back in front of you, and you can take that, fill it out, and put it in the offering slot, which is right over there. Just want to reiterate that announcement about baptism. You know, I think high points of the year for us as a church are when we get to celebrate new life in Christ through baptism. And baptism is something every believer in Jesus is not just encouraged to do, but Jesus actually commands us to do it. Baptism is the way that you go public with your faith in Jesus, your allegiance to him. And so, if you have never been baptized, don't wait. Do it next week. Go public. You're going to have a lot of people cheering for you, going crazy for you here. But we'd love to celebrate your new life in Christ with you. Well, it's uh, 2022, new year. How many of you are saying, I need to hit the reset button now? This is when we hit the reset, right? We hit reset on our diets, workout routines, Bible reading plans. We reset our diet today as a family because you can't start anything on January 1st because it's a holiday. That's a cheap day too. But today, it starts. And then the credit card bill comes due, right, from Christmas. And then you hit reset on your spending. This is a time of year when people hit reset, which is sort of funny, right? Because, like, I didn't know if you knew this, but, like, you can change whenever you decide to. Like, y'all don't have to wait till January to to make changes in your lives. But there's something about this idea psychologically, right? Like, new year, new you, and and, and we just get captivated by that. And uh, as a church, it's a good time for us to hit reset as well. To say, okay, looking ahead to 2022, what does Jesus say my priorities should be? How am I going to live out of those priorities in the year ahead? And that applies not just to us as individual believers, but collectively as a church. What does it look like for us to recommit to what matters most? So uh, remember 2020? Remember that? I I know you want to forget 2020. Uh, It kind of feels like we're about 22 months into 2020 now, right? Because we're still living in this sort of COVID-induced haze. Uh, But you might remember there was this brief, blissful time in 2020 when no one was talking about COVID, and life was just full of bright possibilities. And, And you might remember, if you were with us in January of 2020, we preached a sermon series. You remember what it was called? 2020 Vision. Oh, man, that's funny, isn't it? Like, we looked at our distinctives as a church, and, like, here's what matters to us, and we're like, we're looking ahead, and here's where we're going, and here's what we're going to do, and, and, and like 10 minutes later, COVID happened, and we went from 2020 vision to flying blind, and it's like, here's what we're going to do, and then it's like, we're not even going to have church, right? That was the week after that, like, church is canceled, and then we canceled services, and we did all these digital things, and, like, some of them were great, and we're going to keep doing them, and some of them we're never going to do again. And, um, and then, then a whole bunch of people moved out of the area, and then all these new people came, and we kept pivoting and pivoting and trying to stay afloat and trying to stay connected to you. And, okay, confession time, for the first, like, six months of COVID, I had this thought that I just have to get through this. Just weather this, weather this, and someday it's going to be over. And and here's what I thought in my head, right? There's going to be this like day when everybody goes, COVID's officially over, right? And I don't know what would happen. Like the president would get up on a stage somewhere and be like, COVID has been banished from the land. And then there'd be ticker tape parades and we'd all take our masks off and breathe on each other. And uh, introverts would hate it. And like, But like that day was coming, right? Like that that was going to be a thing. And then on that day that there was going to be this thing and everybody comes back to church on that day because COVID's gone. And I think we all know that's not how pandemics work, right? There's no like V-Day. And and the reason I thought that is because I've never lived through a pandemic. But do you know how pandemics end? They don't end when the disease goes away. Pandemics end when enough people collectively say, okay, I guess it's sort of time to stop living in pandemic mode. And just take risks and keep living life. And, and so the question that everybody in our society is wrestling with right now is, okay, when is that time? Like, when is it safe enough to just reenter normal life? But, but, but what has made me think about it, you know, even more is, is that it's like, okay, it's time to stop pivoting, right? And realize that there's going to be uncertainties moving forward. And the reality is, as I hate to say it, there might be something just as earth-shattering as COVID in 2022 that totally upends our lives. We have no idea. But what doesn't change is Christ's calling on our lives, our identity as the people of God, what he's called us to. And so what I want to do in this reset series is go, okay, regardless of what's coming, who are we as the people of God? What do we have to be committed to regardless of what season we're living in as a church and remind ourselves of a lot of those things we talked about two years ago because they're still true. They're going to be true 10,000 years after COVID is gone. They're eternally true. They're things that matter to the people of God, period. And I fear that COVID has been this grand distraction from the things that are most important to God and what he wants for his church. Here's the challenge for us. I think a lot of times we want stability by knowing what's coming, right? We feel stable when we're able to predict the future. We can't predict the future. We have no idea. And stability for believers comes not from looking forward, right, but to looking to what God says and who we are in Christ and what he's called us to be. And how do we live that out now? So we're refortifying our foundation as the people of God Five foundational words to reset our foundation for the new year. Five words that we're going to be talking about in the month of January. Gospel, word, family, city, fruit. You don't have to write them down. We're going to be saying them a lot. Gospel, word, family, city, fruit. These words capture principles that are true for the church all the time. And the first word. The word in the Christian life is gospel. If you are a believer in Jesus, you have placed your faith in Christ, which means that you trust the gospel. There is nothing more foundational to your life than the gospel. There is nothing more important to you than the gospel. This is the most important thing. How do I know that? The Bible says so. Paul says it like this, 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What is the gospel? If you believe in Jesus, you should have an answer to that question. In fact, in our membership interviews, we tell them there's only one question you can get wrong, and it's this, (laughs) what is the gospel? Because if there's one question every believer should know the answer to, it's that question because it's that fundamental. So what is the gospel? The gospel is not advice. The gospel is not rules to follow, rituals to keep. It is not a lifestyle. In fact, the gospel really isn't primarily about us at all. The gospel is news, and it's news about Jesus. It's actually challenging to distill down what the gospel is because it's so big, but here's my best shot. It's the good news that Jesus Christ has done for us what we could not do for ourselves delivering us and all of creation from sin and death through his life, death, and resurrection. There's more to it, but if you're going to distill it down, that's about the kernel right there. The good news of Christianity is that Jesus Christ has done for humanity what we desperately need and what we can't accomplish. He has delivered us from sin and death and all of creation. That's what the word gospel means, good news. Good news. And that's all we need. Good news because we have an enemy we can't defeat. And that's sin and death. Three points about the gospel this morning. The gospel is primary. It's powerful. It brings purpose. The gospel is primary, which means it's the first thing. It's the primary thing. It's the thing that if you miss it, you get everything else wrong. The gospel is powerful. The only deep change that comes in your life is through the power of the gospel. And finally, the gospel brings purpose. The gospel invites you into a story that makes sense out of everything. So there's no principle more foundational. There's no truth more powerful. There's no story more transcendent than the gospel. I hope you get sick of me saying this. I really do. Because it means I'm doing my job, which is calling you back to faith in the gospel. Let's pray and then let's look at this text. So Father, we thank you today. And God, I know our great danger is to to not keep first things first. Lord, would we see that who we are, what we are, and what we're called to do, we can't understand anything if we don't see it in the light of the gospel. Teach us now from your word, God, and would we care most about the things you care most about. Pray it in your name. Amen. The gospel is primary. Point one. What does it mean that the gospel is primary? It means the gospel is of what? First importance. You know, wherever the Bible says something is of first importance, you should underline that thing, right? Paul says, I could have said a lot of things to you, but here is the thing of first importance is this news about Jesus. So how important is the gospel? Femi Asanui, he's a pastor in Nigeria. I like the way he says this. The gospel is like the sun in our solar system. The the, the sun isn't the only thing, but it's the central thing. And and just like our planet is held in place by the gravitational pull of the sun, we are held in place by the gospel. The, The gospel is what gives us a stable identity, a sense of who we are. Just like the planets orbit around the sun, our lives should orbit around the truth of the gospel. Just like the sun gives life to our world, the gospel contains the life of Christ that gives us abundant life. Just like the sun gives light and so we can see things clearly, we can't see life clearly unless we see it, what, in light of the gospel. If you don't look at life through the light of the gospel, everything is fuzzy and opaque. When you look through the lens of the gospel, everything becomes clear in terms of what we are called to do. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He believes in the Christianity like he believes in the sun, not because he sees it, but because what? By it, he sees everything else. See, the gospel gives us these lenses to view reality. And if we don't look at it through those lenses, we don't see life clearly. This is the message of Christianity, and it is the one thing we cannot overemphasize. Like I said, I hope you're sick of me talking about it. And that's true for us as a church. You know, if you have the wrong starting point, you have the right ending, ending point, right? And the starting point for the church is the gospel. Not what we do, but what Jesus has done. Because as a church, we could do a lot of things and say a lot of things are important, right? We could say, we're a church that worships God, right? And we want to experience the presence of God in worship. And that's great. We should. But why is God worthy of worship? What makes God so beautiful and grand and attractive that we would worship him? It's the gospel and the truth of what he has done in Jesus. And if you don't focus on the gospel, it's not about the glory of God and his greatness. It becomes about me and my feelings and the experience I want. We could say we want to be a church where you're family and we experience belonging and we love one another sacrificially. That's great. I hope you do feel belonging here. But why are we a family in the first place? See, if we don't understand the gospel, we don't understand why Jesus brought us together. And we don't understand what it looks like to love each other sacrificially. And so we don't even have a context to understand what it means to be. We might say, we want to be a church that does justice and good, and we're going to make disciples and reach the world and change it. And that's great. Let's all go do those things. But what is the mission? And how do we know if we're faithful to the mission? And what fuels us to keep doing the mission? And what does it look like when we're doing the mission? We have to look at the gospel and what Jesus has done, and live in response to that. You, you might say, hey, we're just going to be a Bible church, right? Just preach the Bible. Bible, 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 Bible. Just obey the Bible. That's what we're going to do. That's great. I hope we are. What's the Bible about? The gospel. <laughs> and if you miss that, you actually aren't biblical. I, you know, there's no end to bad Christian publishing. Um, eh. I've mentioned this before. I, I saw this study Bible a few years ago. This was my clue that, that we're out of ideas as Christian publishers. There was, a, there was a Bible, and it was called the Jesus Study Bible. I like how to do this. Because do you know what's already Jesus centered? The Bible. The Bible is about Jesus and what he's done. You don't need to make the Bible Jesus-centered. It's about Jesus. Because in Luke 24, Jesus says the Bible's about Jesus. And Paul, in 2 Timothy 3, says the scriptures were given to make us what? Wise to salvation through faith. The whole point of the Bible is to lead us to Jesus and faith in him and to deepen our faith in Jesus that's the deal. So do you see the point? If you miss the gospel, you miss everything. And if you live in light of the gospel, you get everything in clear focus. This is the organizing principle of the church. It's the organizing principle for our lives, and second, it's the power that changes us. What what does Paul say here? He says, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved. See those three descriptions? Which you received is past. In which you stand is present. By which you will be saved, are being saved, what's that? Future. So what does the gospel apply to? Our past, our present our future. The gospel is good news for what? Our past, our present, and our future. Here's one danger when it comes to the gospel. We look at it as like the entry requirement to the Christian life, right? We talk about the gospel this way sometimes. We tell kids, here's the gospel, right? Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sins so you could be friends with God. He rose from the dead. If you believe that, you're friends with God. That's the gospel, right? If that's all the gospel is, right, we can believe it and then what? Forget about it. Check. Believe that. It's kind of like your Costco card, right? You only need it when, you, when you're entering. Entry requirement. Got it. And if that's what the gospel is, just this entry requirement, believe these facts, check, then you can just sort of forget about the gospel. And then get to the deep stuff of the Christian life, right? Which is works. Works. <laughs> effort, learning to grow as a Christian and discipline and all these things. But Paul says the gospel is a past, present, future reality. You received the gospel, that's past, present. You stand in the gospel. The reason you have any foundation at all to have any hope for the future, any assurance before God, the reason there's any good news for today is what? The gospel. It's good news for today because no matter how badly you screwed up last night, God's love for you is 100% certain in Christ. So that's good news every day. And the good news for the future is you will be saved. The gospel is going to take you all the way home to a new heavens and a new earth. See, the gospel deals with our past. That's justification. Justification is Jesus paid the penalty for my sin at the cross. God declared Jesus guilty so he can declare me innocent and righteous. So I have this standing before God now. That's my past. He saves me from the penalty of sin. And the future is that God will save me from the presence of sin. God will rid the world of evil and will make me just like Jesus in a body free of sin and death. That's glorification. So you have justification takes care of my past. Glorification takes care of my future. And right now, what's Jesus doing? The good news is he's cleaning me up. That's sanctification. He's making me a little more like him, delivering me from the power of sin. That's the good news for today, by the power that lives within me. So you've got the penalty of sin, the power of sin, the presence of sin. And so here's the question for us. How do we experience the gospel and become more like Jesus day by day? Fundamentally, it's not about trying harder. It's about trusting more deeply in what Jesus has already done. I love the way Paul puts this. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 3. He's describing all of us as the church, what's happening now. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being what? Transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This is a great picture, right? You have Christians who are walking towards glory, right? We know our our end. We're going to be glorified, right? We're going to be just as beautiful as Jesus in the end, have his glory. And now God is cleaning us up. He's transforming us What from one degree of glory to the next. Right? So if you're a believer, it means that the, the nature of Jesus, the character of Jesus is shining a little brighter in you every year. Right? You're looking a little more like Jesus in all of these areas of life. You're getting brighter and brighter until full day. I love that word transformed. It's, it's metamorphometha is the word, right? From which we get metamorphosis, right? Metamorphosis is what? A caterpillar becoming a a butterfly, and you're all dirty little caterpillars, and so am I. And the good news is God's making us glorious. He's changing us into that butterfly from one degree of glory to another. Now, here's the question. How do we get from point A to point B? How do we become more glorious? Is it effort? Yeah, it could take discipline. It will. But what's the fundamental discipline? Paul says it's beholding the glory of the Lord. And if you look in the context, what does that mean? Beholding the beauty of Jesus we see in what? The gospel. As we look at the goodness and greatness of Jesus dying and rising for us and his love, and as that captivates our hearts, what happens? We become like him. Because the truth is this. The thing that we look at, we start to look like. That's the fundamental truth of worship. It's the thing that you look at, you start to look like. And here's the reality for us. We will not want to pursue Jesus until we are overwhelmed by the beauty and greatness of Jesus. And where do we see that? The gospel. And so we go back to the gospel and look at how beautiful and good Jesus is until it captures our mind's attention and our heart's affection. And until that reality overwhelms us and pushes out our other loves. Because the reality is you can have all the rhythms and habits and disciplines in your life you want, and if you aren't captivated by the beauty of Jesus, you will not do what he says. You will not follow him. And and so really, change in the Christian life is not fundamentally trying, is it? It's it's trusting. It's trusting more deeply in what he's done. And and here's the fundamental truth for us in Christian growth. The way we grow in Christ, do you know how we do that? It's the way we come to know Christ, (laughs) See, we think, okay, I believed in Jesus when I came to him, and now I work hard to become like him. That's not how the Christian life works. How do you come to Jesus? Jesus, I have nothing to give you. I deserve hell. You give me everything. Thank you. I receive your grace. Do you know how you grow in Jesus? Jesus, I come to you. I have nothing. You have given me everything. Thank you. I turn to you again. The way we continue to grow in Christ is the way we came to know Christ in the first place. That's why Paul says in Colossians 2, just as you received Christ, so walk in him. How did I receive Christ? With nothing to give him, everything to gain. I trust in you. That's how you grow. And so growth is really just resetting ourselves on the gospel every day over and over and over again until we really believe that Jesus is just as good and gracious and beautiful as he says he is. It's not trying harder. It's just believing the gospel more deeply and living in light of it. So what does it look like to do that? Three areas really quick. Okay, let's say money. Let's say you want to become a generous person, okay? There's a few ways I could motivate you to be generous. Okay, I could I could use shame. Right? I could say, hey, here's 50 Bible verses about generosity. How you doing? You're failing, aren't you? Yeah. And then I could like put up pictures of my kids. Right? And be like, you know whose Christmas wasn't very good this year? Because you're not giving, right? I could use shame, and <laughs> some of you would give, right? for a little while, then you'd stop once the shame went away, right? I could use guilt. I could use shame. How does Paul motivate Christians to be generous? Well, he tells us in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he talks to these rich Christians who are hoarding their wealth, and he says, do you know how indescribably generous God has been to you? He gave you Jesus. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What's Paul doing there? He's saying, if you just Get a glimpse of how generous God has been to you. Do you know what you're going to do? You're going to be generous. Because when you realize that God is not withholding from me, in fact, he gave me his most prized thing, Jesus. And Jesus gives me his 401k plan in heaven. And I have an inheritance that's imperishable. I have nothing to lose. I have everything in Christ. So do you know what I can let go of? Money. I don't need this. Look what I have in him. See, that's the only thing that'll make you generous is the truth of the gospel and believing it more deeply. Let's say you're struggling in your marriage and you feel like your spouse is selfish and they're ungrateful and they don't deserve your love. And you're in a conflict and you're 95% right and they're 5% wrong. And so the obvious thing for them to do is to admit their 95% wrongness so you can confess your 5% rightness, right? And so you go, you know what? They need to realize how wicked and evil they are. So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna withhold affection from them right? Which works, doesn't it? If you mistreat your spouse, they'll love you back, right? I'm just telling you, that's bad strategy, okay? But we think like that when we're angry, okay? I'm going to withhold from you so you realize how wretched you are and repent, right? And it starts this crazy cycle of doing that. How do you love your spouse when you feel like they don't deserve to be loved? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians 5. He says, well, love your spouse the way Christ loves you, loves the church. Basically, Paul's saying, just think a lot about how Christ treat you and your covenant with him and that you ignore him and mistreat him and disregard him and he continues to serve you in heaven as your faithful high priest every day. And if you think about that long enough, eventually your heart will soften to Jesus and you'll start to love your spouse because you love Jesus, not because your spouse deserves it. And we can apply this to every area. Okay, mercy and justice, Right? The Bible says, care for the poor. Why? Well, because I was poor in spirit, then Christ gave me his riches. The Bible says, care for the widow. Why would I care for the widow? Well, because when I was bereft, Christ married me and took me in when I had no one. Care for the orphan. Why? Because I was an orphan and I was homeless and God made me a citizen of heaven. Why would I care about the immigrant? Because I was a sojourner, right? And then Christ took me in and made me a citizen of heaven. I could go all day. Everything is in light of and response to, to the gospel, and so if you don't want to change in an area, just sit in what Jesus has done for you until it changes your heart. And if you abide in his love, like Jesus says to do in John 15, eventually you're going to want to obey him because you see how beautiful and good he is, and only the gospel can fuel that. And and so the question I would ask for you is, what area do you really want to change in? in 2022. And the reality is this. You have to understand how the gospel is going to motivate you to change. What is it about the beauty and greatness of Jesus and how he's treated you that's going to motivate you to change in that area? Because until you sit in that, no amount of discipline or duty is going to do it for you. It's not. Right? Disciplines and rules are great, but they're like a map. They tell you where to go. And there's all sorts of maps, right? Lots of maps on your phone to tell you where to go. All sorts of ways to get to the destination you want to get to. Do you know what a map can't do? It can't put fuel in your tank. You need fuel. You need power to get to where you want to go. The gospel is the fuel. You need the map, but without fuel, you're not going anywhere. Does that make sense? How is the gospel going to motivate you in that area? And how are you going to sit in that and marinate? Only the gospel can reset our behavior. You know, it's funny. I I was talking with Kyle about this yesterday. We thought COVID was going to reset people's behavior. Do you remember this? Like, right when COVID happened, they were like, this is going to change humanity. We're going to heal the environment. I remember that. We're going to stop, right, using fossil fuels, and the earth is going to heal, and then families are going to heal because we're going to spend all this time together. (laughs) And then society is going to heal because we're going to care about each other. We have a bigger thing to care about, right? We couldn't divide over this, could we? Right? And we're gonna have time. We're gonna have time to write the novel I wanted to write and plant a garden. And like, it's just these halcyon days are ahead of us. And none of it happened. And be, because COVID doesn't change people's behavior, only Christ does. Only the power of the gospel can bring lasting change. So, gospel's primary, gospel is transformatively powerful. Finally, only the gospel can give you a purpose. For your life. Here's what I mean. Only the gospel can give you a big enough story to live in to make sense out of everything. Paul says this about the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Why would Paul say that twice? Here's his point, that when Jesus dies and rises again, It is the culmination of the story that God has been telling from the beginning of time. According to the Scriptures means according to the Old Testament. It means that God is writing this story that foretold a Savior who would redeem and heal the world. And now that the Savior has come, we can look back and see this thread of redemption and how God has worked everything together to save us. See, this is why the early disciples believed in Jesus, not just because they saw him from the raised from the dead, but because they looked back at the Old Testament and said, now the entire story of the world makes sense, and it all fits together. This is what the prophets were talking about. This is what the promises were about. This is what the whole story was leading to. Here's what that means. The gospel is not just a simple message. It is a key that unlocks the story of the world. It it, it is a story of creation, fall, redemption, new creation that is big enough to take in everything that happens to us and give us lenses to make sense of it. And I think people in this culture are dying for a bigger story to live in. I would say there is a poverty of meaning in our culture right now. People are starved for meaning, and they have no idea where to get a deeper meaning for their life. And here's why. Here's my best guess. Because the idol in the West is what? Freedom. Right? Freedom is like the highest good, and freedom means I get to do what I want to do. Right? Freedom is autonomy. And if that's the highest good, what is meaning? Meaning in life comes from me getting to do what I want to do. Right? Right? If the highest good and freedom, then meaning in life, doing what matters in life, is whatever I desire, if I get to pursue that thing, then I live a meaningful life. So then how big is the meaning of my life? Well, it's reduced down to the size of what? Me. And what I want. There's nothing bigger to live for than what I want. So what makes life meaningful? I don't know. You choose. Well, what are the options? The options are infinite. How do I know if I made a wrong choice? Well, if it's right to you, it's a life that matters. Does that feel liberating? That's paralyzing. Because meaning means there's something that's true that's bigger than me, that outlives me, that transcends me, that whether I want to or not, I would give my life for that thing because it's the bigger reality. Freedom reduces meaning down to the size of me, and it makes life very small. And it produces incredible anxiety because the most important thing in life is for me to do what I want and you're in charge. Don't screw it up. Whoo! That's why people are so anxious in our day. They have no bigger story to live in to make sense of things. And yet the culture just keeps giving us this same boring story over and over again. I mean, do you realize how pervasive this narrative is that meaning in life comes from getting to do what you want? It's everywhere. I know I have Disney Plus. And it's banal, right? It's so unoriginal. Every story is the same. It's like once there was a person, and this person wanted to do this thing and be this thing. But people said, no, you can't do that thing and be that thing. But the person was like, yes, I want to be that thing and do that thing because I want to. And then the people were like, oh, okay, I guess you can do that thing. And then the person was happy. That's like 90% of the stories that are out there. And we just keep hearing that same story over and over again. What will you start to believe? That basically meaning comes from right in here. And once I get to do what I want, my life will be meaningful. Good luck. Because that is antithetical to what meaning is. It's bigger. It's truer. It's objective. It's transcendent. And I think it's one reason people are so anxious during COVID and so glued to the news because they don't have any bigger story to put this thing in to make sense of what's happening. It's all terrifying. Because meaning is I have to just navigate this and figure out. And as a Christian, it's so comforting to know. Do you know how many pandemics the church has been through? Do you know how many are worse than this one? All of them. Just about. Do you know how many empires have been overturned in the history of the church? And and God's people have weathered it all, and the song remains the same, and it's Jesus, and it will be 10,000 years from now when no one cares about COVID. I want to live for things that are going to be true 10,000 years from now, not just what I want right now. I was reading Augustine this week, the church father. And he has this great sermon where literally Rome is on fire as he's giving it. He's in North Africa, and and the whole Roman Empire is coming apart at the, the seams as the barbarians are coming down and destroying Rome. And by the way, they're on their way to North Africa where they will destroy Hippo, the city he lives in, and tear his church apart brick by brick. That's the context, okay? That's uncertain times, And think about it for a minute, because Constantine is the emperor. Constantine converted to Christianity and said, okay, I'm going to create a Christian empire. And as a Christian, you got to be thinking, all right. Like, we're in charge now. We're going to usher in this golden age. And then the golden age seems to come, and then what happens? The barbarians come and tear it all down. And then Augustine has to get up and give a sermon. This is what he says. Rome has collapsed, and your hearts are outraged by this. Rome was built by men like yourself. Since when did you believe that men had the power to build things that are eternal? Your souls, filled with the light of the Holy Spirit, will not perish. And he goes on to say that men build citadels out of brick. God builds a city out of love, the kingdom of God that will endure when every human city has collapsed. Right? This is the way you can think if you believe the gospel. That I'm just a blip in God's story, but I get to be a part of the only story that matters. Because it's an eternal story, and anything that isn't eternal is eternally irrelevant. That's what we get to live in. And, And here's the best news about this story. It's a story we want to live in, and it's the true story of the world. See, the fear we have when we hear this is that this story is too good to be true. There's this story that makes sense out of everything that we're invited to live in, and Paul knows we're afraid of that because he talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you by which you're being saved, unless you believed in vain. Here's what he's saying. You're afraid that you might have believed this in vain. You're afraid, Corinthians, that this might be a fairy tale. That this is just wishful thinking that Jesus has defeated death and is going to come back and make everything sad, untrue. Maybe that's not. That's what the Corinthians were afraid of. And so the rest of 1 Corinthians 15 is what? That Jesus rose from the dead. That we saw him. The apostles saw him. I saw him. 500 people saw him. And he just goes through the list of people and says, this thing happened in history. It's real, and that's why he ends it by saying what? My beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, knowing that in the Lord your labor is what? Not in vain. The story you want to be true is the true story. That's what Paul is saying, and it's the only story big enough to make sense out of your deepest hopes and your deepest fears. And I would invite you, if you do not believe in Jesus, if you're going to live in a narrative and the narrative of this culture will crush you with anxiety and existential dread because it means that reality is up to you, this invites you into something so much bigger and grander and more beautiful. And it's true. Let's pray. So, Father, I think of uh, Paul's words in Second Corinthians 5 when he says, the love of Christ constrains us. God, would our lives be constrained and controlled by your love in Christ? And would we, Jesus, in response to you, give everything? Do it all for the sake of the gospel because, Jesus, you've already given everything for us. Lord, freely have we received from you and we freely give our lives away from you because that's not a loss, Jesus. We already have everything in you. God, will we live every day starting this day in 2022 in light of the gospel. We pray it for your sake. Amen.